You ever had that person in your life who has this kind of uncanny ability to just kind of speak right into your soul? Uh, that, you know, I, we think we've all kind of had that person. Maybe it's, it might be your spouse. It might be a really close friend. It might be that grandmother who seems to have that direct prayer hotline to the throne room of God itself, you know. Um, but they always seem to be able to pinpoint that one area where maybe you're struggling or you've drifted a little bit or you're making a decision for the wrong reasons or you're headed in the wrong direction or you're focusing more on self uh, instead of how God might want to use you in your situation. And it's really awesome to have those people in your life, isn't it? That they can get you back on course. Of course, it can also be incredibly annoying to have those people in your life because you don't always want to hear it. You're not always ready to hear it. I mean, just because broccoli tastes good or is good for you doesn't mean you have to like how it tastes, right? Uh, so sometimes it's like you know it's good for you, but the medicine doesn't always go down easy. But we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and this week we move from chapter 5 to chapter 6. Now we're going to jump ahead in chapter 6 because as you know, we just got done with the Lord's Prayer, which is at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. So we're not going to go through the Lord's Prayer again. Trust me, we already did that. Um, but we're going to move on to, to the middle of chapter 6. And really, if you look at chapter 6 as a whole, in the middle of this, it's kind of the, the center part of this sermon by Jesus. It could be described as uh, a motivational guide for us as Christians. Uh, as a disciple, what should your motivation be? How should you evaluate your decisions in life uh, as a follower of Jesus? And really, all of chapter 6 can be summed up in two words, and that would be God first. God first is how you can sum up chapter 6. When you do good works, when you do good things, uh, what do you seek? Do you seek man's approval or God's approval? You should seek God's first. When you pray, what do you pray for first? For your concerns or for God's concerns? You should seek God's concerns and the things that weigh on his heart first. Um, and, and now we come to one of those passages where Jesus seems to read our mail. Like those people I mentioned at the front part of the sermon that we have in our lives who have that uncanny ability to just nail those areas where we're not lining up perfectly. Jesus hits us now right where we live uh, because now Jesus takes this concept of God first in everything and he reduces it down to one thing, one great, big, difficult thing that it's a consistent challenge to keep God first in. And Jesus seems to know that when we're talking about putting God first in our lives, there's one area where we are going to struggle the most. And so he goes right there. Jesus doesn't kind of tiptoe around things. He goes straight at it. And Jesus could have talked about our families. He could have talked about our jobs. He could have talked about our hobbies or any number of things. But Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about keeping God first and how to make that happen, he goes straight for our money, our stuff. Where do you store up your treasure, on earth or in heaven? So let's read the passage here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that 
is probably the most critical line in this entire section. And it's something that we're going to focus on as we move through this. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, in other words, you're really, really confused, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It's almost like Jesus knew what 2021 America would be like when he preached this, right? Uh, but the amazing thing is, this is what first century Palestine was like. And this is what medieval Europe was like. This passage isn't about culture, it's about human nature. This is about the human condition. We have been and always will be possessed by our possessions. It's the natural leaning of who we are. What God intended as tools for us became totems for us. They became representative of something that we worship. So what do you think you would be willing to do for a million dollars? Imagine that I've got this here and there's a whole lot more zeros. I got a million dollars here and I'm willing to toss it to you, but there are some strings attached. You got to be willing to do something crazy. And someone actually did a poll on this asking people this exact question and they, they listed all these crazy things. What would you be willing to do? And it's amazing what people said they would be willing to do for a million dollars. Some were willing to spend a year in jail for a million dollars. Uh, some were willing to never see their best friend again. Like, I'm willing to just write them off, never going to see them again. Others were willing to move permanently to another country and never return. Some said they were even willing to throw their pet off of a cliff for a million dollars. It is shocking what people are willing to do for more money. But money and the stuff it can buy, obviously it's not just the money, but it, what it represents to us, are powerful motivators in our lives, right? I mean, you look at commercials, I mean, how, how many commercials exist that are about how you can accumulate, how you can get, or what you deserve and what you need to acquire in order to feel better about yourself. It's a powerful motivator in our lives. And Jesus knew this. And it's why this is the big topic that Jesus returns to in his teachings again and again and again. Most importantly, this section here in, in the uh, middle of the Sermon on the Mount that we describe as God first. And anytime you put something before God, there are always strings attached. And here's the king. Those strings are attached directly to your heart. Those strings that are attached when we put something before God are attached directly to your heart. People wonder why God speaks so much about money in the Bible, specifically the teachings of Jesus. Jesus talks more about money than he does about prayer, than he does about heaven, than he does about hell, than he does about just about any other topic that you can think of. Jesus talks about money. And it's not because God cares about the money. God is not concerned about the money. He already owns it all anyway. Okay, you're not going to bless God by giving him something like, oh, thank you. I was really at the end. I didn't know how I was going to make the, you know, the rent payment on heaven this week. I really needed that. Thank you. No, God owns it all. It's because God cares about your heart. 
And when it comes to money, God knows it's really your heart that is on the line here. Our approach to money and possessions is central to our spiritual lives. It's not just financial. Money is a spiritual decision that you make. All those people willing to do really crazy and even terrible things for a million dollars, all that poll did was reveal what was going on in their hearts. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It determines the course of your life. Did you hear that? Your heart is like the steering wheel to your engine of desire in your life. And your heart, Jesus tells us, follows your treasure. So your treasure then, what you are pursuing, what you value more than anything else, that is going to determine where your heart goes and your heart determines where your desires go in the direction of your life. Jesus wants you to guard your heart. So in this section, he talks about God and money. And in his typical master illustrator style, he uses three different word pictures for us. He talks about two treasures, two sets of eyes, and two masters. So let's start with the two treasures and see what Jesus had to say. Once again, Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Now think about this. This is probably a little more relevant back in Palestine in Jesus' day because things actually did. They kept their values and it could rust. It could be destroyed. It was physical. You know, we keep things digitally now. So maybe in today he would rephrase that, you know, don't store up your treasures here on earth where uh, scam artists can take your bank accounts and clean them out, where the stock market can tank and you could be left with nothing. You know, th that's probably a little more relevant to us today. Then he continues, where moths and rust cannot destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. And so Jesus makes the huge difference between these two treasures abundantly clear for us. There's no wiggle room here. The treasure you store on earth will be destroyed, while the treasure you store in heaven will last forever. And it couldn't be further apart. It really shouldn't be. In light of that, it shouldn't be that difficult a choice, right? I mean, it makes sense. If I told you I had an investment opportunity for you this morning, where you are guaranteed to lose not only every dollar of your initial investment, but also every penny of interest you might earn along the way, and said, who's in? Probably not going to get many takers. How many of you would be interested in putting your money in a bank where they have no locks on the doors, no alarms, and your money is accessible to anyone at any time, and it's not insured? How many of you would buy a purse or a backpack that was advertised like this? Beautiful leather bag for sale, super comfortable, full of holes on the bottom so that all your stuff falls out. Of course, every one of these is a ridiculous example, but Jesus says that is exactly what you are doing when you make your investment in earthly treasure. Any treasure you store for yourself here on earth will be destroyed. You can't take it with you when this life is over. It's done. So the question becomes, where are you investing what God has entrusted to you? The Bible says everything you have is a gift from God. It's been given to you by him. So with that in mind, what are you doing with what he has entrusted to you? Where are you investing it? We all have resources. Some have more than others, but we all have something. And storing up treasure on earth is when we hoard our money instead of using it for God's kingdom. 
We store up treasure on earth when we spend selfishly or extravagantly on ourselves instead of helping others in need. We store up treasure on earth when we spend more time and money on the things this world has to offer rather than the things of heaven. But the problem is everything we store up for ourselves here on earth will pass away. Everything. Things don't last. And even if they did, we don't. Death is the ultimate thief that separates us from our stuff. You can't take it with you, which is why Job in the Old Testament said this in Job 1.21, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. What is Job saying? Ain't nothing coming with me. It all stays here. Jesus told a story about a rich fool who saved up and accumulated all sorts of things for himself, built bigger barns. And this is what it says in Luke 12.20, But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, God gave us an alternative. We can put him first in every area of our lives. We can put him first, including this one, because the treasures you store in heaven will last forever. But what in the world does that look like? I mean, last time I checked, uh, there wasn't a heavenly savings and loan branch here in Crossroads. Okay, pretty confident there isn't even shared branching at the local credit union. So how do you store up treasures in heaven? What does that look like? And this isn't specific to this topic in this passage, but this is really good Bible study practice for all of you. Anytime you have a question about a passage of scripture and what it means, the first and best place you should look is somewhere else in the Bible. If you're reading the Bible and you have a question about something, you come across something that confuses you, you're not sure what it means, it could have multiple meanings, look at other passages of Scripture that are talking about something similar to see where there is synergy, where it lines up, and where there is something that could shed some light on that topic for you. And fortunately, we get some pretty detailed instructions on treasure in heaven from Paul's letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is what Paul says to Timothy. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So there you have it. Paul telling Timothy. Now this is Paul the apostle instructing Timothy basically in how to be a better pastor. And he says, hey Timothy, make sure you're teaching about money. Make sure you're teaching people how to manage what God has entrusted to them. And here's the irony. Everything Paul tells Timothy here is basically straight off the everything I needed to learn in life I learned in kindergarten poster. I mean, this is not rocket science, church. Do good, treat others well, be generous and willing to share. I mean, that's really not difficult concepts, is it? This is what five-year-olds learn in kindergarten. Uh, but Jesus told the rich young ruler in, in Matthew 19, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. In other words, you can't take it with you, but here's the key, you can send it on ahead. We can make an investment in eternity. 
Only two things last forever, people and the word of God. That's it. People and the word of God, which shows you where your priorities need to be. Value people over possessions and value God's word over the things of this world. Colossians 3.2 says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That is our focus. That is where our hearts should be inclined is towards God's kingdom, towards the things of God, towards the word of God. And we're reminded all the time, you know, by these people who, who do uh, retirement investing. What are you doing right now to prepare for your retirement? But we really should focus more on asking, what are you doing right now to prepare for heaven? You know, I, I'm, I'm 48. I'll be 49 on Saturday. <laughs> Creeping up on that 50 mark. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to be retiring, well, maybe someday. I don't know. Um, I have seven kids. I don't know if retirement's really a possibility for me, but uh, I did tell you my retirement plan, right? And it's not a 401k. It's not. My retirement plan is I have seven children. So I, all I have to do is Melissa and I have to move and stay with a kid for a year, right? And then move to the next kid, stay for a year, move to the next kid, stay for a year. So if I, if I even hit five of my kids who are self-sufficient and can handle us coming to live with them every five years, you know, that's, that's pretty decent. I think this could work. I need to write a book on this. But I need to be asking, I mean, yes, we need to think about the future. But more than that, we need to be thinking about eternity. And if you are spending more time and energy preparing for your earthly retirement than your heavenly retirement, then something is wrong. Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Why? Because the treasure you store on earth will pass away, but the treasure you store in heaven will last forever. But then Jesus gives an even more important reason why you should store up treasure in heaven. And that's because your heart follows your treasure. Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It kind of seems backwards. It kind of seems like Jesus should have said, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. But Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. Whatever you value, whatever your treasure, your heart is going to follow that direction. Why does it matter where you store your treasure? It has to do with your heart. It's not about the money. God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. Your heart is everything to God. It's vitally important where you store your treasure because that is where your heart will go. It will follow. What is your treasure? It is whatever you value most in life. That's your treasure. Whether it's the wealthy person in their investments or the homeless person in their blanket, where your treasure is is where you will find your heart. Now, it is not wrong to save for the future or to practice wise financial planning. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, they're not only encouraged, but they are commanded in scripture. So that is not wrong. Don't hear that today. It is not wrong to have money or things. It is wrong to love money or things. There's a massive difference between those two. One of the most misquoted scriptures in the entire Bible is about money. Most people have heard the expression, money is the root of all evil. And that has its roots in the Bible, but that isn't what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money. Money is not the problem. It's the priority of money that becomes a problem in our lives. So that makes sense, doesn't it? The love of money moves our heart away from God and toward the things that we become more passionate about. 
And when our heart turns from God, all kinds of evil are waiting at the door to enter our lives. So it is not wrong to have things, but it is wrong for our things to have us. That's the best way to understand that. It is not wrong to have things, but it is wrong for things to have us. God has given us good things to enjoy, but we have to remember where they come from and remember that they are temporary. And so Jesus tells us to store up your treasure in heaven. Your heart follows your treasure. Your heart is at stake in this entire conversation. And next, Jesus moves from talking about two treasures to two sets of eyes. Matthew 6, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And even though in our culture, the eyes and the heart are not really related in any way, in scripture, the eye was often used and described as the gateway to the heart. The eye is kind of the gateway to the heart. It's what we allow in. In Ephesians 1, we see, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And Paul is praying here for the church in Ephesus that their focus, their motivation, what guides them and moves them would be fixed heavenward on kingdom-related stuff, that that's where their focus would be. Because then they will experience everything God has for them and, get this, heavenly riches. It all connects. This concept is all over the place in scripture. When Jesus talks about your eyes being good or your eyes being healthy, he uses a word that can also mean simple or single. Good, healthy, simple, single, all the same word. In other words, having singleness of purpose. So what you allow into your life to motivate you and drive you should give you singleness of purpose. When your eyes are good, when they're functioning like he intended, with, when your filter, what you allow into your heart that motivates you, that drives your passions, when it's functioning as God intended, we are able to focus on one thing. And in the same way, when your heart is right, your whole life comes into focus. You have one purpose in life, which is to bring glory to Jesus with your words, with your family, with your money, everything. When your heart is right, your path becomes clear. You know that everything you have comes from God. Everything you have belongs to God. And so you can put God first instead of storing up treasure on earth. But on the other side, when your heart is wrong, when it's leaning in the wrong direction, Jesus says you walk in darkness. You walk without the light of the Holy Spirit. You walk without the word of God to illuminate the path in front of you. Psalm 119 tells us, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. It guides us. It shows us which direction we should go. But when our heart is leaning in the wrong direction, we're not following where God is leading and we're walking in darkness. We're stumbling our way through life. If your eyes are bad or focused on the wrong things and don't let in any light, your whole body becomes full of darkness, Jesus says. You can't see where you're going. You can't see what you're doing. And it's bad enough when it's dark all around you. We live in a world where it's dark all around us. But when darkness is within you and not just around you, it's hard to see your way out again. And that's why Jesus emphasizes this so strongly. Once again, it all comes back to your heart. God cares about your heart because when your heart is wrong, your whole life gets plunged into darkness. 
That is how critical Jesus teaches this area of our lives is. God asks for us to be generous. He asks for us to give sacrificially, not because he needs our money to accomplish his will, but he needs the hearts of his disciples to be focused on him. God needs your heart. Needs it to be filled with light, to be single-focused. And generosity, according to this teaching from Jesus, generosity inoculates us from all kinds of related evil. It's amazing what it does for us. Jesus has talked about two treasures, two sets of eyes, and now he talks about two masters. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot have cross-pollination on this. No one can serve two masters. It's impossible, it cannot be done. You can work two different jobs at two different times. You can have multiple jobs, but you can't serve two masters because when you're serving one, you are unavailable to the other. It just doesn't work. If you've got two bosses and one tells you to deliver a package to Denton right away and the other tells you to deliver one to Plano, you can't do it especially with the traffic around here. Good luck. In the same way with God, James 4.4, it's exactly the same. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. There is no middle ground here. No one can serve two masters. Why not? Because Jesus says your heart can be fully devoted to only one. So we're back to the heart again. Why can't you serve two masters? Because your heart is at stake in this. Once again, it's not wrong to have money or things. God is concerned about where your heart is. Psalm 62.10. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Practical guidance in the Psalms. If your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. You can't serve two masters because your heart can only be fully committed to one. And then finally... Although anything that comes between you and God is your treasure, Jesus names one of the main culprits here, and that is you cannot serve both God and money. And that's kind of his, like, mic drop moment here. You cannot serve both God and money. And he names it. He calls it out. So whom do you serve, God or money? And it's actually really easy to tell. In fact, I, I just mentioned this last week uh, in our generosity talk before the message. You just need, if you want to tell if somebody's serving God or money, just look at their checkbook or their bank statements. If someone audited your finances for spiritual investments, what would they find? I mean, Jesus' words have profound and very practical implications for our lives. How will you choose your career? Will you choose it based on how much money you can make or how you can best serve God and other people? Where will you invest your resources? Will you save and spend for yourself? Or will you help the needy and invest in God's kingdom? How will you make your decisions? Will you make decisions based on what God's word says is best or on what works out best for you financially? God's word says one thing, money says another. So you need to make a choice. Whom are you going to serve, God or money? I was faced with this decision in college. And I, I am so grateful to God for getting me back on the right path because I had gone a different direction. I went to college, University of Illinois, as a physics major, pre-dental. Uh, I was going into orthodontics. I was going to put braces on teenagers. That was my direction in life. 
And I really was not passionate about straightening teeth. Was not my motivation. It was in 1990, the average starting salary for an orthodontist was $120,000 a year. That was a lot of money in 1990. I was super motivated in that direction. And then my sophomore year of college, God just transformed the direction of my life and called me into ministry. And I'm not going to go through the whole story of how, but it was a period of prayer and fasting and lots of people. And God just confirmed to me, no, this is not the path I have for you. It's over here. And I made my peace at that moment that I'm never going to be a rich man. And then I had seven kids. And it just became confirmed. Uh, but I'm okay with that. That's not what I'm after in this life. I don't have to drive the nicest car. I don't have to have the biggest house. I don't have to have the nicest clothes. None of that matters to me. All that I care about is single focused. What does God want me to do and how does he want me to do it? And how can I bring glory and honor to him through it? That's the motivation we need to have in life. Whom are you going to serve, God or money? Now, if you're not on board with Jesus' view of money that he lays out in this passage, it could be that you, like a lot of Christians in our culture today, don't actually believe the gospel of the kingdom, which is that the good news that the best life is fully available to you right now where you are through Jesus. You know, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full. Nothing, not your income level, your stage of life, your health or relationship status, nothing is standing between you and the life that is truly life that God wants to give you. It could be that you believe another gospel, another vision of what the good life is and how you should be able to obtain it. If you're struggling with what Jesus says here, it's probably evidence that we're bound to another gospel. A vision of the good life that has more to do with materialism than it does with the good news of Jesus. And there's a lot of people who are trapped in that. There's a lot of people that fill our churches on Sunday mornings and their gospel is more materialistic than it is kingdom. No one ever plans on serving money. We want money to serve us, right? But it doesn't work out that way. Anytime you put money in front of God, you become its slave, and it becomes your master. It's a matter of the heart. You cannot serve both God and money. So I want to close with this thought this morning. What we do with our money doesn't simply tell us where our hearts are. According to Jesus, it determines where our hearts go. Now, this is, this is big, and I, I really want you to park here and get this. What you do with your money determines where your hearts go. Your heart will follow your treasure. And this is a remarkable truth. If I want my heart somewhere, all I need to do is put my money there. Maybe you've got a relationship with God and you know it's true up here, but you struggle to feel like it in here. You've got the head connection, but you're missing the heart connection in your relationship with God. Maybe it's time for you to direct your heart toward God through being generous with him. Ask yourself, am I honoring God with my money? And this isn't about me wanting your money for Trilogy. Please don't hear that today. It doesn't matter to me if you give here or if you give to the church down the street. I believe personally that you should give where you're being fed, but go where God leads you. 
God is going to provide for his church. That's not the issue. This isn't about that. This is about our hearts. And I want you to experience everything God has for you. And I think too many Christians are living a sterile faith life. They don't have a passionate relationship with Jesus because they have held back in this critical area that Jesus says your hearts are going to follow where your treasure is and they are hoarding their treasure for themselves. They're not being obedient. They're not releasing. They're not sacrificially giving. They're not being generous. And because of that, their relationship with God is less than. And Jesus lays it all out very clearly. It's not hard to discern what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't speak in code. This isn't in riddles. This isn't obscured. So you have to kind of peel back the layers to see what Jesus is saying. Jesus lays it right out and says, guys, you can't live like this. You can't have money as your God and think that I am as well. It's right there. Everything that God has for you is there, but we have to submit in every area of our lives. And this is the big one. This is the one we hold back in. Everything God wants to do through you hinges on this. I want you to experience true life like Paul talked about when he was writing to Timothy. And that can't happen for any of us until we make the decision to live God-first lives in every area to live the life of a disciple, sacrificing, giving, and using every area of our lives to honor and glorify Jesus. You've heard me say it many, many times, but I believe the most biblical and God-honoring way to manage the money that God has entrusted to us is this. We give first. John 3 tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. That was his initial outpouring of his love was that he gave. And so as we love God in return, our initial response should be that we give. We give first. Before anything else comes in our lives uh, with regard to my family, before anything, before we pay our mortgage, before we pay our utility bills, before we do anything, before we save, we give to God. That is our top priority financially. We give first. The second thing is you save second. You put away. That is scriptural. That is biblical principle of saving for the future. So I know I said earlier that we shouldn't focus on that. No, you don't focus on that over what God has for you, but it should still be something that we incorporate into our lives. You save for the future. That's biblical. Save second, and then here's the key, and this is the problem in American culture. Live off the rest. Not the rest plus whatever the credit card company will give you. Be content with where you're at. This is the hardest part, folks. This is where we have to get, and this requires prayer. This requires a whole lot of dying to self. This requires a whole lot of letting go. This requires a whole lot of refocusing off of what the American dream is to what God's dream is for us. And saying, I'm not going to focus on accumulating. I'm not going to focus on bigger and better. I'm going to focus on what does God have for me right now. I'm going to live my life according to that. And I'm going to do what I can to honor God in every area, especially this one that Jesus says is so critical because my heart is going there. Guys, that's what it comes down to. So I want us to end this morning. We're going to pray for our hearts. That Jesus would help us to keep our hearts focused on his kingdom, on his purposes, and that nothing would ever come between that, especially our money.
Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning and we thank you, Jesus, that you, first of all, you, you know us. Nothing is hidden from you. You know who we are. You know what motivates us. You know uh, what those areas of our lives are that we're going to consistently be either struggling in or leaning towards or be pulled away towards. And Jesus, you tackled it head on here in Matthew chapter 6. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take this teaching today and not let it just be inspirational, not let it be motivational, but God, let this be transformational for every one of us. That God, our hearts would realign, our hearts would refocus, our hearts would be fully surrendered to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help those of us who maybe we have not been living biblically in the area of our finances, God, that we would begin to live biblically. God, maybe not even taking a baby step, but just going all in and saying, God, I'm going to honor you the way the Bible teaches me to honor you in my giving. And we would give first. And then we would save. And then we would be content and live off the rest. God, provide for us as we honor you, as we live biblically in this area of finances. You said, God, that you would provide for your people. You would provide for your children. And so, God, we rest on that promise. And, Lord, we also ask that you would let blessing flow into our lives as we do this. God, let us accomplish more and more for you. Let us be used more and more by you. I pray that you would grow us as disciples. Let us grow closer and closer and more and more like Jesus as we begin to live biblically. And God, I pray that as you use us more and you, the blessing flows to us, God, let the blessing flow through us and let others be transformed because we made a decision to honor you in this area of our lives. We thank you, God. We give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.